It is 6 p.m. on August 1st, 2023, and I'm going to call the City of Iowa City meeting to order. Roll call, please. Alter. Here. Burgess. Here. Dunn. Here. Harmson. Here. Taylor. Here. Teague. Here. Thomas. Here. All right. Well, welcome to your city hall, to those of you that are in person and to those that are uh, virtual. Hello as well. And we have Councilor Don virtual tonight as well. So we can hear you clearly. So welcome to you. We're going to move on to item number one, um, two, which two through seven is our consent agenda. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, Taylor. Second, Thomas. Anyone from the public like to discuss this topic? And let's see if there's anyone online also that want to uh, discuss this topic. Seeing no one in person or online. Council discussion? Roll call, please. Hermson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. <clears throat> Done. Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Could I get a motion to accept correspondence? So, so moved. Second. Burgess. Moved by Burgess, seconded by Alter. All in favor say aye. 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 <clears throat> Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. We are on to item number eight, which is community comment. This is an opportunity for anyone to talk about an item that is not on our agenda. So if you wish to come forth, um, you can sign in at the desk or there are stickers in the back. You'll be allowed three minutes, up to three minutes to speak. And we welcome you at this time. And this is your opportunity to speak to council. We can, council will not engage um, in, in discussion back and forth, but welcome. Hi. Hello. Hi. My name is Kevin Perez. Uh, I live at 161 Columbia Drive. Um, I just, uh, I'm going to share a little bit of history with you about myself because that's what I know. Moved here in 1985 to go to school. Um, in 1992, my wife and I and my brother opened a business called The Peaceful Fool up in the Homo. Uh, in, uh, let me see, in the year 2000, we opened up uh, 126 at 126 East Washington. Um, to, 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 I opened that with Derek and uh, and Lisa also for. Uh, I'm sorry, I scribbled some stuff down here, so uh, I apologize. Uh, in, the, in our uh, course of opening 126, we were uh, kind of the original started uh, the patio outdoor dining uh, with uh, uh, Atlas at the time, but we kind of started the whole thing that's now closing streets and whatnot. Uh, in 2002, I opened the Monkey House in Sycamore Mall. You lose some and you win some. Uh, that was a loss. Uh, 2007, Mom, we opened Mama's Deli. 2008, we opened Shorts Burger and Shine. Uh, in 2010, we opened Stella in University Heights. Uh, in 2012, we opened Shorts on the East Side. In 2017, we opened Hudson Southside Tap. In 2019, I opened uh, Shorts in Marion. Uh, we survived COVID. Uh, we have a small farm three miles east of town where we grow, you know, a couple thousand, 4,000, 5,000 pounds of vegetables that we use at our restaurants. 
Um, I paid over a million dollars in property taxes. I've hired thousand, over a thousand employees. I currently have over a hundred employees. Uh, the restaurants have raised and donated over a hundred thousand dollars, at least uh, to a lot of the local, uh, mostly out of the east side and Hudson's, but to local, you know, student, usually high school and younger uh, organizations. Um, I've lived in the same house in Iowa City for 25 years. I coached teams. I, uh, all three of my kids graduated from City High, and I work really hard. Uh, last Tuesday, uh, the city of Iowa City uh, took my patio off uh, the front of Shorts Burger and Shine. Uh, they had uh, this, they did this despite having a notarized signatures from the landlord who was, you know, and uh, completed application and the money. And they unilaterally decided to take the patio away and send back my check. Um, in turn, they hurt my business. They hurt the people that work for me. They've caused way too much stress for me. You know, I've got enough things to worry about in my life than whether these guys are taking my patio. Well, anyway, I know thank my you. time is up, but thank you. Thank you. Yep. Welcome. That's a really good guy. You should have given him some more minutes. Uh, oh, I'm already, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Two minutes and 50 seconds. First of all, yeah, you should give more time than the three minutes to those who might need a minute or two. That's my suggestion for the council for today. I would like to read a statement by Harold Pinter, uh, considered the greatest playwright of his generation, who upon accepting the Nobel Prize in 2005 said that these words, the United States supported and in many cases engendered every right-wing military dictatorship in the world after the end of the Second World War. I refer to Indonesia, Greece, Uruguay, Brazil, Paraguay, Haiti, Turkey, Philippines, Guatemala, El Salvador, and of course Chile. The horror of the United States inflicted upon Chile in 1973 can never be purged, can never be forgiven. Hundreds of thousands of deaths took place throughout these countries. Did they take place? Are they in all cases attributed to the U.S. policy? The answer is yes. They did take place, and they are attributable to the United States foreign policy, but you wouldn't know it. It never happened. Nothing ever happened. Even while it was happening, it wasn't happening. It didn't matter. It was of no interest. The crimes of the United States have been systematic, constant, vicious, remorseless, but very few people have actually talked about them. You have to hand it to America. It has exercised a quite clinical manipulation of power worldwide while masquerading as a force for universal good. It's brilliant, witty, highly successful act of hypnosis. Harold Pinter, 2005. Since then, I would now add to those conflicts, Yugoslavia, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, Pakistan. We could also add Rwanda and Congo. And today we can add Ukraine. The US is not helping right now in Ukraine. 
which is a right-wing government that's attacked the east of Ukraine for nine years. And the only way to stop this war is for us to call, write our Congress people, and demand, demand that this thing end. This could have ended a year ago, but the U.S. wanted to sell arms. So I'm telling everybody who's listening, please connect with all your politicians that you can and demand peace, which is what we need. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anyone More than else three like minutes. To, uh, anyone <laughs> else like to address a topic that's not on our agenda? <clears throat> Tag, I'm Welcome. in, I guess. My name is Eric Perez. And what city are you from? I'm from Iowa City, and uh, I live on 2716 Brookside Drive. And I just don't think my brother got through this all. So, um, and I'm not sure how this works. I've never been here before. I don't know why I uh, would have to do this, but I guess I'm here to ask or to add that um, I guess in general, I, at what point does um, the city, and I guess I'm not sure if you guys respond to this or not, but um, after being in business and, you know, working pretty hard myself, uh, for years and getting through the pandemic and the things like who when who unilaterally, unilaterally decides to to do something like take away uh, an opportunity to to um, add to the economy I mean it doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense we've got 20 30 40 people working in all these businesses my businesses as well are fine but who knows when the city will uh, come by and take something away from me. I, I think it's important to know that uh, when the, he followed the law, did exactly what he was supposed to do, and then the city comes and takes his patio away and throws it in the dump. I mean, you had to pay for that. And who, will you guys, will you guys respond to this? And when you do, I don't know how, or when you to respond to it is it is it just uh, it says I guess I, I'm asking I'm I am just supposed to speak can I get clarification are you guys going to yep. respond Yep now you can speak to the council but certainly you can follow up with staff and we can also follow up with you Okay because I would really I think it's important as are to know if you guys are even aware that this happened that the city has taken away somebody's property and thrown it in the garbage I think it's important that somebody should speak to the city manager or the attorney and find out exactly what happened considering um, as much work as we've done to you know increase the property taxes and increase the revenue that comes into the city and pays the salaries of the people that run the city that it's important it's important for us to know that you guys are uh, looking out for the best interest of the people that do this work that's what I have to say thank you thank you Anyone else like to address a topic that's not on our agenda? Seeing no one in person or online, I'm gonna close the public comment section. We're gonna go on to items number nine, which is regular formal agenda. Um, 9A is Mercer Park and City Park Court renovation. Resolution approving project manual and estimate of cost for the construction of the Mercer Park and City Park Court renovation project. 
establishing amount of bids, security to accompany each bid, directing city clerk to post notice to bidders, and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'm gonna open the public hearing and welcome. Hi, Mayor and Council Julie Seidel Johnson, Parks and Recreation Director, here to talk to you about this project. Um, the first thing I just want to mention on this project, you may remember it originally started and it also included the baseball fields at Mercer Park. Um, that's been split off from the project for this time, uh, mainly because we're working with the school district on some additional things that they would like to see done at the baseball area. So that part of the project will still happen, but will be delayed as a separate bid. So it's only pickleball and tennis courts that we're talking about tonight. The first one I'll talk about is Mercer Park. You can see right now we have eight pickleball and three tennis. This was just a resurfacing that was done about six years ago. This was at the very start of what became has become a pickleball craze out there. Um, we didn't know much about uh, what was needed on all the pickleball courts. So some of the things that will change with this renovation, the current courts have a fair amount of cracking and, and different things happening. So we will be tearing them up down to the subsurface, starting out with a new uh, layer of, of pavement on them. We switched the around, so we'll put the tennis courts to the south, and we'll end up with nine pickleball courts. Mm. The big thing that changes with this, though, is that there's walking aisles between each row of the pickleball courts, and there'll be now be 10-foot fences in several of the areas. So right now, we just have low fences and some other things that have been problematic. Um, this should give them better playing surfaces and a better playing experience. Uh, new fences, new uh, wind screens, and we're going to use slats in the fences. The lighting will actually stay the same. What's there, we'll just be able to redirect the lights um, and reuse those. So is there any questions on the Mercer side before we go to City Park? What's the timing on this? We'll get to that in just a second. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, City Park, six tennis courts there, a lot of tennis use there. Not as much at Mercer, especially now with the City High project that's happened for tennis, but City Park is still very strong in tennis courts. So this project, as you can see right now, it's six tennis courts and there's that little tiny basketball area just on the edge of that. Uh, this project will rebuild the six courts. We will add pickleball lines to this uh, project, but it, they'll remain primarily tennis courts with a practice area, a practice wall as well. The basketball court rotates, and with both projects, we're getting better paved accessibility paths to the actual items, and that's one of the things that the realignment of the basketball court does in this place. So uh, bids are due August 22nd. We hope to award contracts September 5th, and then construction later this fall and early spring. Questions? None at all. Thank you so much. All right, anyone from the public like to address this topic? Seeing no one in person or online, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, Harmson. Second, Taylor. Council discussion. Just a quick thank you. I have a teeny, at least one teenager in my house who spend, he and his buddies spend two to three nights a week out there on the tennis and pickleball courts, and they'll be excited to hear the, about the, the renovations, so. 
And I just want to say thanks to all of the people who, this was, gosh, within the first six months of my coming on as an elected, the pickleball clubs in the area um, invited me out to take a look and then also really graciously just explained with a huge amount of passion and enthusiasm about the sport the play itself, but then also really what the needs were. And um, just over time, it went from, yeah, yeah, we'll resurface. I'm not saying it dismissively, but from, you know, we'll resurface to really understanding that this is um, needs more attention. And so kudos to Parks and Rec, but then also for the advocates who've been in there from the beginning talking about what they needed. So good. It's a great project. So thanks to all the staff. All right. Nine. Oh. No, we're so roll call, please. Taylor, yes. Teague, yes. Thomas, yes. Alter, yes. Burgess, yes. Dunn, yes. Harmson, yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number nine B is North First Avenue improvements, resolution approving project manual and estimate of cost for the construction of the North First Avenue improvements project. Establishing amount of bid, security to accompany each bid, directing city clerk to post notice to bidders, and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'm going to open the public hearing and welcome. Yeah. Uh, good evening, Council. Uh, Mari Van Dyke, Engineering Division. So, this project is part of our pavement management program, and the project includes pavement removal and replacement on North First Avenue. So we'll be completely reconstructing First Avenue between Stork Court and Hickory Trail. So that's shown in red in this map. Um, and that's basically the area at the bottom of the hill north of Rochester and south of Scott Boulevard. So this gives you an idea of what current pavement, pavement conditions look like. So as you can see, um, it's pretty rough. We looked at doing just a patching project instead of uh, the full reconstruction, but there's so few panels that would be worth saving that we determined that it would make more sense to just go ahead and do the full reconstruction. So the project will be split into three phases so that we can maintain access to residents. Uh, each phase should go fairly quickly because there's no major utility improvements with the project. It's mostly just uh, the paving and then some minor storm sewer work. And then we'll also be updating the curb ramps at the Stork Court intersection so that they are ADA compliant. Uh, schedule for the project is to open bids August 22nd, award the contract September 5th, <laughs> and then construction would be between September and November this fall. The estimated construction cost is $475,000. So it's kind of the brief overview, but I'm happy to answer any questions. I, I have a question. What, 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 do you, um, what, do you, what do you think is the reason for why the road deteriorated so badly? So since it's at the bottom of the hill, potentially there could be some drainage issues. We're going to be adding a sub drain along the sides of the road. So that should help kind of keep the water away from the pavement. Um, but I'm assuming that's probably the major issue that's causing the deterioration out there. Because the rest of first is in pretty good shape, just this one it's in much better shape, yeah. 
Thanks. Mm-hmm. I have a question about timing. Um, <clears throat> kind of a constellation of questions, I guess. Um, first is that you said that it would be done in phases, and I saw the different phases, so that there would be access for the residents mm-hmm. and those offshoots. Um, will it be through going for people So the plan is south? to do a complete closure okay. for north-south traffic. It's just okay. that, uh, so kind of where we're splitting right. is that driveway, and then Stork Court, which is a dead end. Okay. So they'll have access either from the north or the south, depending on what phase okay. they're in. So embarrassing side question. When is Rochester due to be completed? So uh, they'll be working, I don't know, the complete, like entire completion date. I know that they will not be at the First Avenue intersection until next year but they'll be working in other kind of west of First Avenue where they're at right now. I guess I'm just thinking of sort of like two. (laughs) That's going to be a mess. So we wanted to get this project out this year so that we're not overlapping in that specific time where they're going to have closures at the intersection because that would be worse. But I think that we'll have opportunities to kind of our detour routes won't be overlapping. Do you have terribly. a sense of what the current detour route would be? I'm thinking of folks around Regina. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, the amount of traffic that is on there around 8 in the morning or just right before to get kids to school at Regina, it goes all the way down to the bottom, and that's when it's fully running. So I'm kind of trying to figure out like what the detour would be to get them to Regina if also yeah. Rochester is closed even if it's not at that specific intersection if they can't get up to Regina right. so I'm just trying to figure out the logistics because that's yeah I be... apologize I should have had a yeah. zoomed out map no, but it's okay. it's, it'll largely be Scott Boulevard and then um, I'm trying to think what's west there would it be Dodge yeah Dodge Street and then uh, I guess Muscatine and when is Court Street closing? <laughs> Not this Sorry. I, I guess I want a clarification just to make sure to what you're saying. So Scott Boulevard will be open between Rochester and Dodge. Is that what I understood yeah. you saying? Yes. We won't have any impacts to Scott Boulevard. Right. So they just have to go up and around. I know, the, I know the staff recently met with Regina, has been in contact with Regina. I don't know who was involved in that, but... Yeah, so Scott's over as assistant city engineer. So we did meet with Regina's uh, staff, I think the assistant principal maybe, and talk through kind of access. And we've got it worked out where, you know, even during um, construction of Rochester, they'll be able to still access off of uh, Rochester um, east. So from east of, on, on Rochester east to First Avenue, they'll still be able to get to that intersection and access of Regina. So that doesn't you know, necessarily take care of the traffic that's north. They'll still have, that right. That would be coming from the north. They'll still have to use the, the detour route to detour around this this construction so area. So they go to Scott and come in on Rochester from Scott? Correct, yep. Wow. How long is the actual, I know you have a time window, but how long will the actual closure last? What do we have in the contract here, Nicole? It's, well, we gave them 40 working days, but 
It should be, so that's like three Will months. Will you come to the mic, please? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it would be three months-ish total for all three phases. <clears throat> Any other questions for staff? Hmm. Thank you. Anyone from the public like to address this topic? Seeing no one in person or online, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Could I get a motion to approve? So moved, Burgess. Second, Thomas. Council discussion. Having just gone through very close to my neighborhood, the Benton Street reconstruction, I can appreciate this because several comments from my neighbors on, on how nice it is. It, it really is beautiful. It's smooth. Um, and now they allowed for like one lane at a time. It wasn't totally closed and it's not quite finished yet, but it's a very lovely, lovely project. And, and Benton was not nearly as in bad a shape as what those pictures you showed for First Avenue. But um, they also did, besides the full reconstruction, were some storm, storm sewers and, and uh, water drainage kinds of things. But uh, it, it moved along pretty well, but they had pretty good weather. So, so yeah, this will be a good project. It'll be wonderful. People will appreciate it when it's done. I just have to say that I think mm -hmm. this is going to be really rough, and we're going to hear a lot about it. <laughs> I mean, we've got, I forgot, on the west side, we've got Benton. Just we've got the Rochester, Court Street's going to start. I mean, these are all major thoroughfares for school and for work. And I realize that pavement doesn't have its own, you know, it's not going to align its needs uh, to our calendar per se, but this is just really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I, I really it is kind wish of a, that we it, could get this... One... Coordinated done. better. Yeah, I mean, the, if Rochester was open before that was closed, then the like the North Governor coming down, you know, over to Dodge or North Governor, then you could pop over on Rochester. But going all the way down like Muscatine and Court Street and then back around, that's uh, that's going to be it's going to be a bit a bit tight and, and absolutely necessary project. I drive along, you know, not probably as often as as you do, but quite often. And so yeah, it's it's in rough shape. It needs to be mm -hmm. needs to be fixed and. It's good that it'll be fixed right with the uh, substrata that'll keep it from deteriorating again. Um, yeah. Well, just a reminder, if people take our free buses, <laughs> they will detour, <laughs> and you can read a book or do your email while you're uh, avoiding the road work. Yeah. yeah, just to remind council, certainly this is why we come to you. If you're not comfortable with the you know, level of construction that we have uh, and you think that's going to be too much, we can hold off and we can do this at a later date. Um, there's never a good time for it. Um, you know, in the spring we'll get a lot of complaints about the condition of the road. We'll do our best to patch it. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, there'll be other projects. It'll be competing with Court Street uh, down the road. Um, as it's planned right now, this won't, this won't overlap with Court Street at all. But uh, the east side has seen a tremendous amount of road construction. We just uh, um, accepted the First Avenue Scott Boulevard roundabout. But we, we rely on you as, as elected <coughs> leaders to, to kind of take that temperature at times. And if we think we're going too fast or we have a, a, a too, too high a concentration of road projects in any given one time, that's it's your prerogative to say let's hold off on this. Would there be any benefit to next summer when it, I mean, when it's not in school? Mm -hmm. um, you know, during that gap, 
I know that dude said that Rochester, that project will be moving closer to the First Avenue intersection. Um, you know, that, but what's the kind of pros and cons of looking at? Yeah, I'll, I'll Ron come up or Scott and talk through that. Uh, Ron Kentucky, Public Works Director. I think the issue at hand is going to be the, the gap between the two projects and getting folks in and out because we'll be in the intersection of First Avenue and Rochester next year reconstructing that intersection. So we, we I mean, it'd, it'd be better to get this project out of the way. That way we can maintain access to the folks in that area. That reconstruction, does that go all the way across the First Avenue intersection well, on I mean, the, the, Yeah, I mean, the intersection. I mean, so we'll, we'll be under construction there, and then, we're, you know, then we'll have the closure to the north. It, it'll, it'll make it more challenging to get folks in and out. Oh, for the people that are living in, in that, the, in those that neighborhoods. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, otherwise, close yeah. them both at the same time and, right. you know, kind make it, make it one, rip the Band-Aid yeah. off. But I see there's yeah. the people that are trapped in between. Right. there's people trapped in the middle. Okay, I think it's I understand better. a reminder of that grid street pattern, the benefits there yeah. when you don't have it. Yeah. 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 Although there's yeah. Hickory. What's that new street that yes. Hickory that comes out on Scott as mm -hmm. an outlet? But that doesn't help great that's, on, that's on the north side of this project. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say it so doesn't I mean, help. It, it helps those folks, but the folks that are right, stuck not in the Stuart middle Court out and, from yeah. Right. yeah, Bluffwood and yeah. Right. So, and I I don't like to micromanage honestly, but Same. I'm just concerned it's not even like the volume of of construction it's just these particular projects and the timing of it with school and so you're not projecting you're saying that the the rochester first ave is going to be closed to be for reconstruction next summer can you give an approximation of like what the month would be What's the plan? I mean, it'll 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 take most of this. I mean, it'll take a, it'll take a construction season for us to get okay. get to that area. When is construct When does construction season start? Like when you can really start doing work. I mean, April fifteenth is kind of the beginning of the construction okay. season per se, but I mean, it depends on the weather. Yeah. I was just thinking if there was a way that you could like postpone that. Well, it just yeah, I don't know. April if it doesn't help any mm. for school. No. I think it's it's like uh, Jeff said, there's no real good time for it any time. I mean, we continually get uh, comments from the public about the, when are you going to fix these potholes? When are you going to fix these roads? So, yeah. yeah you know, On the flip side, we've got already got one chunk of the east side saying, why can't I access anything, well, right? And why that's don't true. I have a throughway? So, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to sound dismissive. No, no. You're totally right. It's one or the other. That we're going to get it both ways. It's just this really seems... I know what the concentration level is of people using First sure. Ave to get to Regina or to get south. And so mm -hmm. to do that, like when there's school, is just the part that made me go, whoa. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, the, the you know, staff has reached out. There's been some coordination efforts with Regina already in regards to access. And I think we can continue with the communications department and make sure we get that messaging out so folks know, you know, where the access points are going to be at and, and understand kind of, you know, where, where they need to go to be able to get there. Um, for this for the for this fall as we move forward if we move forward with the project mm -hmm. what you can do I mean certainly if you want to press pause now you shouldn't feel bad about that that's that's okay um, we will bid this and you'll have to accept those bids and at that time we can come and present to you more 
a more precise estimate on timeline for this project, more information on the detours and the, the coordination with Regina, and then also be prepared to give you the latest on the Rochester project and we can work with the contractor I presume to mm -hmm. to project out the best that we can and you all know that timelines change with with weather and all kinds of different variables but um, if you're comfortable enough proceeding at this point we can present you more at the at the at the award stage um, uh, if, if that's of interest I think that would be helpful yeah I think it it stings but there's never a time when it won't and I would prefer we get the road repaired and work through on the details, as Jeff mentioned. We can look at it more closely if we need to at that point, but I would hate to delay this, mm -hmm. you know, even the idea of getting the bids. Well, but are we in a position to delay once we've gotten a bid? No. Right? Once, well. Once a bid is awarded, then we're yeah, but, locked in. But right? you have to award the bid. Right. We cannot award the bid. Oh, I see I what think. you're saying. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm going to let folks know that I'm not going to vote in favor of this, and part of the reason for it is, as I've said, my hesitations, but also understanding that I could vote no later on once actually we've got more skin in the game. I, I would feel worse about that. So I guess this is a, a protest vote, if you will. <laughs> but, uh, and I recognize this is not a knock on the department and you're doing, you know, this is, our roads are a major source of contention and, and, and frustration. So I know it has to be done and there is no good time. But this one just stings an awful lot given how much volume there is. And in spite of talking with Regina, that's, that's my rationale, but um, I'm not willing to do this at a point where a, a, a bid has already been awarded. So I just want to let people know in advance what my logic is for what my vote is, will be. If no other comments, roll call, please. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Alter? No. Burgess? Yes. Dunn? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion passes six to one. We are on to item number 9C, setting fines for criminal disorderly house violations. Ordinance amending Title Eight entitled Police Regulations, Chapter 5 entitled Miscellaneous Offenses to specify the criminal penalty for disorderly house violations. This is the first consideration. Could I get a motion, please? So moved. Alter. Second, Thomas. All right, and Eric Gores. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so some criminal procedure, and I'll try not to uh, drag it out. Uh, when you get a speeding ticket, it's usually a scheduled fine, and by that I mean uh, the penalty is set. It's written right in your ticket. If you plead guilty or you're found guilty, it'll be $100 fine plus cost and surcharge, whatever it is. And on the bottom of the ticket, when the officer asks you to sign it, uh, the officer is not asking you to admit to guilt or anything like that. You are signing for an unsecured appearance bond. And what that means is if you fail to appear for court, judgment will just be entered against you for a little bit of a higher amount, but that would be the end of it 
no warrant for your arrest or anything like that. That is not done with unscheduled fines, and again, unscheduled meaning uh, that there's a range of penalties that the, uh, the magistrate judge uh, would impose. Those range uh, presently between $105 and $855 plus cost and surcharge. One such unscheduled penalty is for disorderly house, a city charge of disorderly house. There are a number of ways to commit disorderly house, but the vast majority that we encounter are for loud parties, you know, neighbors are calling and complaining about uh, the party and the noise that's coming from it next door. The problem that we've been encountering has been uh, a ticket will be issued, a trial date will be set, and then the defendant will fail to appear. Well, there's no unsecured appearance bond right now, so what happens as a result is oftentimes a warrant is issued for the arrest of the defendant. You know, there's no jail time available, so that seems inappropriate to us, um, or at least is not the outcome certainly that we're looking for, but it's kind of the only tool in the toolbox left for the judge because, you know, you can't just keep saying please to the defendant and hope that they show up the next time. Because of course, now we're again paying the officer uh, overtime pay to show up for a second trial date. If there are civilian witnesses involved, we're having them come back. It's inconvenient for everyone. So by setting uh, a scheduled fine, and um, there are different fines for a first offense, second offense, and a third offense, so that we can still have some of that range if it's a you know problematic defendant. And I I should add that probably 90 or 95 percent of officer uh, calls to loud party um, uh, calls for service result in a warning, not a ticket. And so if you're getting a ticket, you've already, it's been pretty egregious or you've been warned and you're still doing it anyway. But we still have, you know, first offense, second offense, third offense, so that there's some gradation in the penalty. But if the defendant fails to appear, the judge can just enter on security appearance bond. No warrant is issued for the defendant's arrest, and it's done. Everyone's uh, moving on. And so that's why we're proposing this ordinance amendment to you to schedule them at first offense $300, second offense $500, third offense $855, and thus avoid any warrant ever having to issue for the arrest of a defendant. I'd be happy to answer any questions you folks have about any of that. How many of our scheduled offenses have um, are kind of at this top end of the the fee schedule? You said eight fifty five was the highest, which is what right. it would be for the third offense here, right? Or what other types of offenses? Well, I'm trying to there? think. So, for example, uh, well, I'm not. I mean, that that's high. Uh, and again, for a third offense, obviously possession of alcohol under the legal age has escalating penalties. Um, I'm trying to recall if the under 21 ordinance has escalating penalties as well. I believe it may. Um, but those are the two that spring to mind. Most of the um, simple misdemeanor charges that we have, we're just mirroring um, a, a state charge, mm -hmm. like speeding, for example. <clears throat> And in those situations, we have to adopt whatever the state penalty is. Well, crimes like disorderly house and under 21 and so forth are, are uh, of our own creation, and so we set whatever penalty we want for those. Um, and so there aren't too many where we have any kind of say at all, mm -hmm. um, frankly. But those are the ones that spring to mind where we've got some kind of escalating uh, penalties. Do you know how we arrived at the 300, 500, 855? Well, uh, a fair question. Uh, we were we wanted to make sure we had some progression, and we thought that if you are a defendant and you've gotten to the third fence, you've 
I mean, we for a while we used to have magistrates who would say, you know, boy, in a second offense, I'm going to max out the fine um, on a second mm -hmm. uh, because you're not learning, you know. Um, and obviously, changing the behavior is what we're looking to achieve here. Um, but no, there's no there's no magic to those numbers. Those numbers could be anything again between 155 and or 105 and 855 because that's the statutory range for a simple misdemeanor in Iowa. But they could be a different number if the council wishes. I don't have a specific number in mind, nor am I trying to say these are the wrong numbers. It's just it it is on the high end, and the justification for this change in part was we're saving ourselves some time and energy. Right by not having to, for example, have an officer appear for trial repeatedly and that kind of thing. So, right. it it just it just struck me as like why and, and disorderly house does is not a um, is typically a offense of you know where the those who would be in the position of being victims are you know that kind of harm isn't. The, you know it, it's not of a level that might be where we would kind of put that top number for the offense but i see some skepticism so we're having this conversation <laughs> yeah. say, I and i know, I know and i also know this is in the simple misdemeanor realm and so it's not like there aren't penalties that are higher than this but sure just just poking yeah. at that high end a little bit uh each on the third offense correct yeah. any other questions for eric out of curiosity about how many of these do we see in a typical year boy I don't have that information available, and I'm not prosecuting these myself anymore, so I'm, I'm afraid I'm not sure I can certainly get that information for you. It just, it's not critical. Yeah. And these fines would go uh, to the owner of the building? Say it's like an apartment, or that's a house with oh. students in it, but like the owner of the home is out of state, doesn't even live in the area, but they, they're the one that receives the fine and the notice? No, How's that it, work? Would, it would be the possessor, yeah, okay. uh, which, you know, in the case of an owner-occupied uh, property would be the owner, but in the case of a, a landlord-tenant relationship, it would be the tenant, uh, because it's them who has to, that is, the, this is a criminal charge that we're talking about, okay. and so it's the criminal defendant uh, who needs to have permitted the noise, you know, either caused the noise really is what happens most of the time, but at least, you know, allowed it uh, to exist or permitted it to take place. And typically they have to be present. Sometimes we have apartments where there's, you know, four roommates living there. Two of them are home in Chicago this weekend, and these, the remaining two are there. It's the two who are there who will get the charge, not the two who are gone. Thank you. All right, seeing no other questions, anyone from the public like to address this topic? Seeing no one in person or online, council discussion. I'm just not, I'm not comfortable with the escalation and going all the way to the top. I, I, I guess um, just kind of take the temperature of if people might be willing to lower the numbers or keep it at 300. Um, I understand the intent for deterrence, but I just I think I'm more that. comfortable with it for a third offense, uh, but I could see if you want an argument to be made for like the first offense being a little lower. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess like, my sympathy drops off. Uh, I guess if that's I mean, kind of to be fair, um, you know, by the third time around. Um, so I mean, I don't have a strong feeling about this one way or the other, but that's kind of my first my first blush. I will say I like the idea of removing the necessity of issuing an arrest warrant. Absolutely. I think that's, yeah. that happens to touch on some of our other goals. Um, so, mm -hmm. so I appreciate, I definitely appreciate uh, staff bringing this to us, this idea. 
I have one question. Will the the three rates be listed on any given citation? Well, it, they wouldn't list all three on the citation because at the time of issuance, it would be, you would determine whether this is a first offense, second offense, or a third offense, and so forth. Usually the officers will just look for uh, calls for service on that address and will realize, oh, wait a minute, we've been here a number of times before. Um, and, you know, hey, have you gotten previous tickets? And they can, of course, check quickly, you know, relatively quickly to see. And, and sometimes they miss that and our office ends up, you know, doing an amendment after the fact from a first offense to a second offense, for example, if that's what's mm -hmm. done. The, the only reason I ask is because if they, if it was listed, you know, when they got their first, ex first offense, like if it was listed, like your second oh, offense would be this, your third offense oh. would be this. Yeah. Um, that they're fully aware yeah. that if they continue this, you know, that it will be higher. Yeah. Um, is it possible? Uh, well, I, I'm aware that some officers will do that for uh, progressive offenses. They will just write both in, handwrite uh, kind of the levels. Um, I think that's sometimes uh, to cover the different unsecured appearance bond. You know, if this is your first offense, the unsecured appearance bond is X. If this is your second offense, the unsecured appearance bond is Y, that kind of thing. Um, and perhaps for some educational component as well. Um, but otherwise, no, I mean, certainly we could, you know, uh, make sure that the police are doing some education, um, you know, with folks to say, hey, I'm writing you a ticket tonight. This is for a first offense disorderly house. Beware, second offense is 500. Beware, third offense is 855, um, and that kind of thing. And I, I, Jeff was kind enough to find uh, some statistics about disorderly house uh, citations. Um, some of these are gonna be skewed by the pandemic. For example, in 2021, uh, we issued two. Um, that is not normal. Um, in, 19, in 2019, it is 46, it appears. In 2020, it was 29. I think that number already starting to dip uh, with the pandemic, which of course started in March. Um, two in 2021, as I mentioned, and six in 2022. I would assume that you know, it will go back to a, a more normal number. For example, in 2016, it looks like there was 182. I don't know that we'll get back to that, but um, I would expect it to go back up, but we're not issuing a ton of these uh, right now. Thank you. Yep. I see Councillor Dunn, hand is up. Yeah, uh, Councillor Burgess, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with uh, your stance on this, and I'm just wondering if uh, you have any particular numbers in mind. I'd go with 105 for the first. That's the bottom end, right? That is the bottom end, yes. I think one of the, I'm just recalling one of the um, considerations that went into our uh, decision to, or proposal to set it at 300 and so forth. My memory is that, um, being in a bar under 21 is $300. And so when we look at penalties, sometimes we try to, at least the ones that we can control that are not set by the state, kind of try to have some parity or, or some understanding to make sure that you know, we kind of balance the offenses and, and the seriousness to the community and, and so forth and make sure that they don't get out of skew. Um, as I mentioned, most of the disorderly house charges are a result of neighbors calling in and complaining. Mm -hmm. And if the ticket's being issued, they've probably been calling repeatedly in order to do so. Whereas uh, people under 21 in a bar, we 
almost never have complaints about that. It's just officers who go in and a bar check and find someone who's underage. I, I would comment too that you know, from what you were saying, Eric, the, the first time is often a warning. So I mean, the, the actual citation is probably the second encounter. So there already is a first one, which is sort of there's a grace on the warning. Um, so in, in that in that context, the the gradation seems to me to be reasonable. Having experienced, you know, being on the other end of mm -hmm. this. <laughs> um, I think my concern is that in thinking about sort of the entire culture of the university town and the fact that in f many of the socializing entities um, have been shut down for uh, fraternities, sororities, for, um, you know, some really, really awful events. And so people are looking more towards houses and apartments for parties, and there's less oversight than at a bar. And so a disorderly house might end up impacting one individual, but there's going to be many people, or maybe only a few, but there will be more people there than not, and at least somewhat, um, perhaps anecdotally, but also studies have shown that you know house parties end up, a lot of damage can be done and a lot of tragedies can happen. So, I'm kind of, I am fine with it being perhaps a lesser amount for first offense, but I do think that actually it needs to be ranked accordingly. And I am taken by what um, Councillor Thomas said, where there's already been probably a police presence saying, knock it off. So, I, I mean, I kind of think that this might be one of those like moments of like, we tried and this is serious and here's how we feel about this. So, um, I mean, I am okay with lowering it. I, I don't know that I'm okay with the minimum um, for the first offense, but I do think the increasing ones should be because that's a, a pretty problematic uh, situation. And I just, I think of how much effort across the board over the past 20 odd years since I've lived here, there have been about drinking culture and how can we combat this and to me, saying, well, the first time's not so big. I get it. When I was in high school, somebody called the cops when my parents were gone, right? But that's not exactly what we're talking about here. This is about people who are college students primarily, and there's just too many incidents of no oversight and bad things happening. So I think that this is something where they should understand that what they have done is not just eh, whatevs. So anyway, that's Throwing an idea out, if we wanted to tweak it a little bit, what if we did 248, double at each, for each offense? So you start at two, you do a second offense, it doubles, you do it again, it doubles again. Uh, just as a, also in terms of making the education component perhaps easier or cleaner, rather than like, you know, 855 and, you know, having some non-round round numbers. I, again, I not strongly, don't have strong feelings about that, but if, if, we're, if we'd like to tweak it a little bit, that might have some simplicity on its side. But again, I don't have a passionate feeling about it. I, I honestly can go um, with the three, five, eight, 55, the two, four, eight, 
Um, I think, you know, the the crust of what we want is for them to feel an impact and for them to, I think, if they knew what the progression would be, um, like this is going to cost you for your second offense and your third offense, then I think that would be um, very ad advantageous for them. I'm not exactly sure. At least I would, you know, have the have the citation. Um, I don't know how the citation comes. If it's all handwritten, there's no specific form for like a um, disorderly conduct or disorderly house. But that would be helpful if they had some materials, uh, some knowledge of what the next offenses would be, even if that's just asking officers to educate them. Um, but I do think that if if we can do a higher amount up front, that might, you know, get people to think, you know, second about it. Um, but like I said, I can go with the three or the two. Um, I, I think the three, you know, at least the logic that was just mentioned, that's the same amount that a, a person in the bars under 21 would have to pay. Um, so if we're talking about one person paying that um, versus maybe a couple of roommates paying 300, I, I think I'm comfortable the more I talk with the 300, the 500, and the 800, well, 855. Just to kind of bring it full circle as I think about it, I think what I'm uncomfortable with is I don't necessarily um, think that there is a good deterrent based on the fine, right? Like when how this plays out, the amount of money probably isn't going to make a difference. I may just follow uh, Mayor Pro Tem's lead and vote no so you understand why. Um, I definitely am grateful that we are changing it. If it will remain a criminal offense, I'm grateful that we would be changing it so that a you know we take out that warrant issuing part. I think having it scheduled makes sense. I do see Councillor Dunn hand raised again. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, earlier I just wanted to make a comment. I mean, the, I think the 248 uh, is is something that I, I like the idea of. So if people want to do that, I would. Uh, I just have another sort of strange procedural question. Uh, we know Iowa City is a very mobile community. People come and go. So is there a time frame on this, like one time, two time, within a year, two years? Or, I mean, what if it's like one and then two years later and then four years later? Is that Would that still be the third offense? Or how, how would that play out? Right. Unlike, let's say, uh, tobacco violations, uh, where it's you know two within two years, three within three years, four, you know, so forth. Uh, there's no such thing like this. But uh, we find that the age of when someone often gets these is when they're in college. Um, and um, so, frankly, we don't see a lot of escalation. Uh, I mean, there have been a certain circumstances in which we've seen uh, the same defendant, more frequently the same apartment, um, but not always the same defendant because as I mentioned, sometimes one is there and the other is not. Um, but they tend to phase out. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't expect to see a lot of escalation. Um, and I've a couple other pieces of information. I, I looked up what the escalation is for the under 21. It's $300 for a first offense, $500 for a second offense, and 625 for a third and subsequent. Now that was set in 2011. I believe that the maximum fine in 2011 was 625. I think that's why that number was selected. The other thing I will add is that 
it has been a longstanding policy of our office that if the defendants of criminal disorderly house charges are cooperative with the police officer, um, they can, if it is their wish, uh, have the charge, the criminal charge, amended to the civil version of this offense. That carries with it a $750 um, municipal penalty along with court costs, but that is issued to the whole apartment. So oftentimes that's three or four defendants who are splitting that cost. Um, and of course, w would result in no criminal charges on uh, the person's record. But again, they need to be cooperative with the police officer, and, and we check. And, you know, if they, well, if they were not cooperative with the police officers and made life difficult for both the neighbors who called in and the police officers who responded, then we do not make that offer. I, I do think it'll be multiple, you know, oftentimes it's multiple people uh, paying the fine. Um, again, I appreciate the 248. I think it makes a lot of logical sense. Um, I, I can go either way, but I'm comfortable with the 35 and 855. Does it make sense to, of those of us who are okay um, with it, to, I know that I heard Councilor Dunn, Sean Harmson, yourself I'm okay with a two four eight um, I don't know where it's it's not that much different than what no. was originally proposed I, as I said I do think having li you know living in, in areas where we do have these incidents they can be pretty ugly at times you know we're not talking about we're talking about people who often are quite <laughs> um, quite drunk and so it can be you know just the interfacing with these individuals can be very difficult. Um, and as I said, the, there is that typical just, so the warning is, is noted by the police officer, correct? Right, when there's a call for service, the officers respond and, and they you know, basically report back how it was resolved. And it is, it's, it's not typically a warning in the sense that they issue a written warning and hand it to the No, but do they, do they note that they've issued a warning yes. so that the second time around yes. they would issue the... Typically noting not the resident's name but the address, you know, 123 Happy Street, <laughs> Apartment 4. And so if a subsequent officer, let's say if there's a shift change or something, a subsequent officer is called back to that same apartment right it's often a residence or a, an apartment unit that's yes the issue yeah right um, so there is that initial one that is given the free pass before anything uh, citation is issued so to the two four eight hundred I think is it's I, not not significantly different than what was proposed so I'm okay with it like I said, I don't feel strongly enough about it. Just just throwing that out there as an idea to change it from what it is. If somebody, I, 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 I guess, no I guess the amend. question. Yeah, I mean, certainly there can be a motion to amend. Um, and if if we have people that feel strongly about it, um, maybe they make can make the motion. So moved. So, uh, Councilor Dunn just moved for a motion to do the, the fines at two, four, and eight hundred. Do we have a second? <laughs> do we have a second? I don't hear a second, so that motion fails.
So the original motion is on the floor at um, 3, 5, and 8.55. Are we ready for roll call? Roll call, please. Thomas. Yes. Alter. Yes. Burgess. No. Dunn. Yes. Harmson. Yes. Taylor. Yes. Teague. Yes. Motion passes six to one. Item number 9D is add a new fee for electric vehicle charging. Ordinance amending Title Three: Finances, Taxation and Fees. Chapter 4, Schedule of Fees, Rates, Charges, Bonds, Fines and Penalties, Section 8. Parking to add a new fee for electric charging vehicles. And this is first consideration. Could I get a motion, please? So moved, Burgess. Second, Harmson. All right, and we're gonna have Danielle. Darian, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Danielle. Darian. I know. <laughs> Come and speak to us. Good evening, Mayor, Council. So the city of Iowa City has been offering electric vehicle charging in public ramps since 2017. So there's been about six years of public charging. Um, Harrison Street ramp was the first ramp to have public charging. The last one we added was at Tower Place and that was in July of 2020. Once these installations were complete, we now have two electric vehicle charging parking spaces in all of our uh, public parking facilities, which is great. Um, to date, this amenity has been offered at no additional charge. Parking sessions in the spaces designated for EV use are limited to four hours only to promote turnover of those two of those limited spaces we have. And how it works is we have the chargers, our charge point, that is the manufacturer and brand and they provide the platform for us. Um, they, so customers download a ChargePoint app on their phone, they, on their smartphone app. Um, they use that, their phone and that app to initiate a charge, charging sessions, and ChargePoint users are required to tie a credit card to their app. So even though we don't charge a fee right at the second, um, anybody who has a ChargePoint app or charges in Iowa City does have a credit card attached to um, their, um, their ChargePoint app. Um, and also ChargePoint, I should say, is also used across the United States. So it's a place, if you have an electric vehicle, you will find ChargePoint chargers and multiple other locations. Um, in 2019, the state of Iowa passed legislation to recover road use fees that are normally collected by legacy fuel taxes. So this is, of course, we're in this interesting transition where we all know how much um, funding our, we need for our roads um, to maintain them, our bridges. Um, as EV adoption takes off, of course, we're limiting the amount of funding that comes from um, gasoline taxes, diesel taxes, that actually supply funding to communities such as ours to help repair our roads. So, so the legislature passed um, let two pieces of well, one piece of legislation with two two items in it to help compensate for this technological change. They phased in additional annual registration fees for um, plug-in hybrids and also battery electric. Um, uh, Vehicles. I keep wanting to say battery electric buses. I'm, I'm used to saying that. Um, battery, battery electric vehicles. Um, and they also included an excise tax um, of 2.6 cents per kilowatt hour for electric vehicle charging at non-residential locations. So basically, you know, in our parking ramps, we're sort of functioning as what a gas station would function as with legacy fuel. So we're providing a fuel, we're reselling a fuel to the public. So this excise tax um, began to apply to the city for all of the fuel that we are selling to the community um, or we are providing to the community as of July 1st. So the city has four expenses associated with dispensing that electric fuel and our parking ramps. We have, of course, electricity, 
We have charge point plan fees. We have maintenance costs, which have been pretty negligible to this point, so we haven't had a lot of uh, maintenance costs. And then now we have the state excise tax on the electric fuel. So if the city chooses to collect a charging fee through the charge point system, which would be the simplest, the easiest, um, and if we choose to recover those costs ultimately, another expense would be added, a fee amounting to 10% of each transaction. So that's kind of how the charge point system, they collect the fees, um, they collect the revenue, um, they take 10% and then they essentially, the rest of that moves back into the city coffers, the rest of uh, the 90% of those transactions. So what we did is we evaluated the calendar year 2020 utilization. So we looked at how much electric fuel we used in the year 2022 um, and those expenses related to the provision of charging equipment um, for community use. And we, uh, doing some analysis, we, we, we indicated basically that a fee of 16 cents per kilowatt hour would be required for us to break even for all of those um, expenses. We paid out approximately, or expenses um, added up to about 10,500, 10, I believe is what it was for 2022. So in order to recoup those funds, um, plus a uh, the new excise tax um, from the state level, it would uh, result in a 16 cents per kilowatt hour charge. So that's, at this point, staff is recommending that the city establish a 16 cent per kilowatt hour fee to recover the excise tax, to recover the charge point fees, the electricity, and then of course the, the cloud fees um, that charged by charge point. Um, a caveat, I will say, you know, the city has seen tremendous growth and um, EV utilization. We're, we're seeing new users all the time. That's a metric we, that we measure and that's really exciting. But it is reasonable to assume that once these fees are implemented, demand may decrease for um, drivers that don't have EV, or that demand may decrease for drivers that do have EV charging capacity at home. So we expect that we'll start to see an increase in the amount of EV charging from either renters or people who don't have access to a garage and don't have you know, easy access at home for charging equipment. So we plan to um, continue to monitor the utilization of charging equipment and expenses and periodically reevaluate this fee structure. Um, I, I don't know if we'll get to the level of gas stations where they can you know, get out their signs in the morning and they change their numbers as fuel prices ebb and flow um, with every delivery, but we'll certainly be evaluating on a regular basis to see what our, what our expenses are um, and come back to you all with any further recommendations. And I would be happy to answer any questions you have on this topic. Out of curiosity, um, and so we've been, uh, basically the city's been eating the cost of the electricity yes. uh, for this time period. How much of that electricity cost uh, is part of that 16 cents? So we know that the excise tax is uh, 2.6 cents per kilowatt hour. Um, so of the remaining 13.3 cents or whatever it would work out to be, how much of that is the electricity? I don't have that breakout in front of me, but I can okay. get you that information. I can get you a better break out of all that. It's sure. a good question. We have it calculated. I just didn't include it in my memo. I think where I'm going with this is just, uh, yeah, thank you. I guess I can do it. So I'll save that for discussion. A quick, quick question for you. So do you have the information relating to um, like how many kilowatt hours the average day or, you know, visit is? 
what, what is that information like? Yeah, we do have that. I don't have that in front of me either, but that information is, um, we've got a really great dashboard through ChargePoint, and we can we can um, calculate very many different variables related to EV charging. It's, it's pretty exciting, the amount of information that we have at our fingertips. So I could get that information. Okay, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, wondering too, I, I don't I haven't yet made the switch to an electric vehicle, so it kind of like this kind of ties into Councilor's Dunn question. So I think what he's getting at, or at least one of the things that would come from the answer to his question, is like what would it cost somebody to come in and ch fully charge their vehicle during that four-hour time period? But how does that? I mean, and so what does that similarly charge if they were to charge at a service station that allows for EV charging? I mean, would we be still under that? Would we be the same? Would be would be more expensive, I just don't have a frame of reference. Do you happen to know? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, over a four hour period, it, we're estimating it would cost approximately $4 for somebody with a full battery electric vehicle to charge. Um, and I don't have a, an electric vehicle myself. The electric buses are Your a different beast. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't use that for comparison. Uh, and I'm trying to recall Danny Bissell. I did have this conversation with Danny Bissell, who's on our climate team, who does have an electric vehicle. And he, he runs all of our stats and analysis, and he keeps tabs on how we're performing from an EV perspective. And my I can't remember exactly what the comparison would be, but you get a really good charge out of four hours. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have That's to okay. defer back to him. Um, I don't think it would be like a full tank of gas, but I for a full plug-in hybrid vehicle. But it would be a substantial, it would be a substantial charge in that four hours based on the speed with our with which our chargers um, charge. So they're charge they charge faster than your average at home charging system. Gotcha. So from my perspective, I think of even if it got half full, a half full tank of gas now at a gas station. You know, is I mean, it depends on the size. Not four dollars. Not even yeah. close to four dollars, <laughs> right? So I can't give you an exact comparison, but I, I have to. My my recollection is that it was at least fifty percent, if not if not more. I can get more information from Danny Bissell on that piece too, but still a good deal. I just have a question that's actually from, it's a definitional question. Uh, in the memo, it says staff recommends pursuing idle fee charges in the future of compliance with the four-hour parking. It, it, that's just if somebody overstays yes. there. Okay. See, yes. all I had to do was read it out loud, and it made sense. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it is. That is an option that we have in the future. That was one sure. question we had as staff. Do we, is this a time to propose idle fee charges, too? And some communities have done that um, to incent people when they're when they're done charging they're, they're, they're in the space that someone else can't else use. Um, although I did find out just today, um, one of our one of our staff members um, just bought a, a new electric vehicle, and she said and she had it parked downtown while we were doing the the, the fare free event downtown, and she got a notice on her ChargePoint app that somebody was waiting in line mm -hmm. for that particular location. So there's there's a communication system that helps to notify drivers that someone else is there's a wait list for that space. So sure. when you get to your four hour period, it helps remind you to move along. So idle fees may not be necessary, but I wanted to include that as a way that we could potentially um, avoid people overstaying the time so that we can ensure there's access to the to more people basically for the limited amount of spaces that we have so the these spaces are not used for parking at all technically they're they're simply charging stations yes so we're yes. losing the parking revenue from these these stalls there, so our our patrons that use our parking facilities will pay for both parking 
in the facility on the per hourly fee or their permit if they have a permit and then they will pay for the electric vehicle charging on top of that so oh, there will so be they, two fees they will be paying for yes. parking mm -hmm. in that space okay yes. any other questions thank you thank you yes all right anyone from the public like to address this topic saying no one in person or online council discussion I think it's a good idea to recover our costs. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great option for people to have mm -hmm. the ability to go and charge up, and if you're there to sit and idle, you know, I think it'd be an incentive to go and move your cars so someone else can uh, reap the benefits of getting some charge as well. So I'm comfortable with it. All right, roll call, please. Alter. Yes. Burgess? Yes. Dunn? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion passed to 7 to 0. Item 9E Adopt Code of Ordinances, aka City Code, Ordinance to Adopt the Code of Ordinances of the City of Iowa City 2023, aka the City Code. This is second consideration, and staff is requesting expedited action. I move that the rule requiring that ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived, and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second, Thomas. Moved by Taylor, seconded by Thomas. Anyone from the public like to address this topic? Seeing no one in person or online, council discussion. Roll call, please. Burgess? Yes. Dunn? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Alter? Yes. Motion passed to 7 to 0. Can I get a motion to pass and adopt? So moved, Harmson. Second, Alter. Roll call, please. Dunn? Dunn? Dunn, yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Motion passed to 7 to 0. Item 9F, Urban Renewal Plan Amendment, Resolution Approving Amendment Number 17 to the City University Project 1, Urban Renewal Plan to add a project to the urban renewal area. Could I get a motion to approve, please? So moved. Alter. Second, Burgess. All right. And we're going to bring up... Wendy Ford, Economic Development Coordinator. Good evening, Mayor, Council. Um, <clears throat> I'm Wendy Ford, Economic Development Coordinator, and tonight you are uh, looking at a resolution to approve Amendment Number 17 to the otherwise known as um, the City University Project One Urban Renewal Area, which is known as Downtown as well. And the reason for this resolution is because um, uh, it adds a project to the plan area, and that project would be the exterior renovation of the senior center. This isn't approving that project at all. This is approving putting the project into the urban renewal plan so that you have the ability per state law to uh, to consider that. So that project um, is estimated to be $2 million, and it will um, 
completely renovate the exterior of the senior center when it goes forward. But again, I should reiterate, this is only updating the plan or amending the plan so that you can consider that project in the future. Now, Council, if you have any questions for Wendy Ford, <laughs> you better get them in because <laughs> July, on August 11th, she's out of here. <laughs> I thought I was out tonight. I almost froze. <laughs> no questions for you. It's because it was a very clear presentation. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All righty. Anyone from the public like to address this topic? Say no one in person or online council discussion. Roll call, please. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Dunn? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number nine G, Hawkeye you. Smoke and Liquor Tobacco Civil Penalty. Resolution assessing $1,500 civil penalty and 30-day retail cigarette permit suspension against Hawkeye Smoke and Liquor. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved. Alter. Second. Fergus. All right. And we do have to amend the resolution. That's um, correct, Mr. Mayor. As I mentioned in uh, the uh, item clarification section of the work session meeting, uh, the uh, proprietor here uh, sent in their uh, waiver of a hearing and uh, acceptance of the penalty at, at around uh, shortly before noon today. And so apologies for the late uh, change, but that's why. Uh, so I would enter or ask uh, a council member to uh, make a motion to substitute the resolution that you've received in uh, your late handout materials for the one that was included in your packet originally. And uh, if that amendment is approved, then you can vote on the underlying motion of the imposition and acceptance. What he just said, can I <laughs> <laughs> So moved, Harmson. Right. Second alter. Okay. Any, um, so moved and seconded by alter. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. Um, any questions uh, for our city attorney from the council? No? Anyone from the public like to address this topic? Seeing no one in person or online, council discussion. Roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Dunn? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Motion passes 7 to 0. Item number 10 is council appointments. We have four, appoint, uh, four different commissions or trustees mm -hmm. that we're going to be appointing today. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go through each one individually, but at the end we'll do a collective one vote. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll start with 10A Ad Hoc Truth and Reconciliation Commission. There are two vacancies, and they're both with mail requirements, um, and they will be uh, filled upon the expired term, which is now, uh, through appointment date December 31st, 2024. So who would like to make a motion to appoint someone? I have a couple of recommendations. I would nominate Emmanuel Nakahinga and Chad Simmons. 
I would also add um, Louis Tessinari, Tessinari as a consideration. I agree with uh, Chad Simmons and Louis Tessinari. I agree with um, Chad Simmons and Louis Tessinari as well. I think we we should say that there are some great applicants, um, especially you know the male applicants that we have to look at. Um, Emmanuel, I thought they had a great application as well. Um, I like the um, the great energy. <laughs> I would say, mm -hmm. um, but I I will uh, promote Chad and Louis. I would uh, I would agree with that as well. Yes, I agree with those sentiments. Uh, all all of the above, including thank you to all the people that applied and some great some great uh, some great applications there. I can certainly understand why Councillor Burgess uh, uh, named Emmanuel in her her list. But it sounds like the Chad and and Lewis is kind of the consensus that's developing, and I'm okay with that because they're also good candidates. So it looked like we have a majority, if I'm counting correctly, uh, for the appointment of Chad Simmons and Louis Tazaneri, if that's correct. We'll go on to the next commission, which is going to be Parks and Recreation Commission. We have one male requirement. I was impressed by Alex Stanton. I agree with that nomination. Yep, I can agree. Uh, yeah, again, uh, some other good candidates too. You know, it was between, for me, it was between Alex, uh, and Alan, and Jordan, were the three that jumped out at me. Sure. Among good, a good candidate. Any other names or any other supports for any other candidates? Right now, we have three for Alex, and then just single for. Others. Uh, Jean Crescellis. I appreciated his describing himself as a clear thinker, cooperatively finding solutions and, and improvements. That's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would support Jean as well. And I think I could be okay with Alex. So we have three for Alex, two for Jean as of now. I, I mean, both of those are very good. They were all good. Uh, mm -hmm. um, Jean I like because he has served on boards before, so he has an understanding of, of the process. Um, and Alex is good, but he did say that the library board was his first choice rather than Parks and Rec. So in that case, I, I would go with Jean. So we have, now, Laura, I have you down for Alex, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we have um, three for Alex, three for Jean. Who hasn't? Um, it's you. Oh, me? <laughs> no, I nominate, I, I put oh. forward Alex. Oh, you, oh, Instead then. Alex? I, I did put forward. Then we have four. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> So Alex Stanton. Well, I'm oh. so sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, Alex um, Stanton will be appointed for um, Parks and Rec. Mm -hmm. 
And then we're going on to 10C, which is Planning and Zoning Commission. One vacant city fill an unexpired term upon appointment through July 30th, 2026. This is one mail requirement as well. I would nominate Scott Quellhorst. I would go with that as well. Yeah, that would have been the one. I would, I would support that. All right, I can go there as well. So um, I think that's majority. So Scott, well horse. Okay. And then we're going to move on to 10D, Library Board of Trustees. Um, consider a recommendation from Johnson County Board of Supervisors to appoint Robin Patezold as the county representative July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2029. And council discussion. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. All right. All right. So I am going to go back up and we'll start with um, could I get a motion to approve for the Ad Hoc Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Chad Simmons and Louis Tassinari, and then for the Parks and Recreation Commission, Alex Stanton, for the Planning and Zoning Commission, Scott Quellhurst. Scott Colehurst, and then for the Library Board of Trustees, Robin Pazetzoid. So moved. Moved by Don. Second, Alter. Seconded by Alter. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. And then uh, could I get, um, could I accept correspondence for the Library Board of Trustees? So moved, Taylor. Second, Burgess. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. We are on to <clears throat> an item number 11, which is announcements of vacancies new. Housing and Community Development Commission, one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2025. Parks and Recreation Commission, one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through December 31st, 2023. And correspondence included in council packet. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. Can I get a motion to accept correspondence? So moved, Taylor. Second, Burgess. All, uh, all in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 12 is announcements of vac uh, vacancies previous. 12A is Community Police Review Board. One vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2026. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. Historic Preservation Commission, East College Street. One vacancy to fill an unexpired term. Uh, Historic Preservation Commission, Jefferson Street. One vacancy to fill a three-year term. Historic Preservation Commission, Woodlawn Avenue. One vacancy to fill an unexpired term. Vacancies will remain open until filled. Item number 13 is City Council information. I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, but we made our buses free today. <laughs> so that I think is the most exciting 
Absolutely. thing that we could talk about. Yes. On the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you, huge thank you to staff for Absolutely. making that happen, making it happen quickly. Um, and really, really, really want to say thank you for all the communication that I'm seeing about it. Like we are blitzing the media and social media and um, really impressive and grateful to know that we can do that and push it out that way. Mm-hmm. Don't let up. Now's, now's the time. <laughs> now's Ride the, time. the bus. Yes, yes, Don, this is good. Here in no other, no other updates. We're gonna go to our city manager's office, um, which is item number 14, reports from city staff. Well, um, RAGBRAI 50 just came through. Nice. Uh, that was uh, certainly excited. Uh, uh, big kudos to the city of Coralville, Think Iowa City, and of course our staff too for uh, managing the, the the riders that came through uh, despite some challenging circumstances, especially as they uh, overnighted in Coralville. Um, another anniversary is 40 years of National Night Out. It's taking place tonight right now. Right. Um, we are now at three locations. We had four locations in total, but one has closed down. Uh, so for another half hour, um, our police and fire departments will be out in the neighborhoods uh, building some relationships and having some good conversations with uh, our residents. So uh, uh, thanks to those staff members that are putting in the time planning uh, those events. Great. That's it. City Attorney. Uh, I'll echo uh, City Manager's comments about RAGPRI. I rode on Friday and Saturday. It was delightful nice. to ride through town and see a bunch of smiling uh, city staff faces that I knew, even though it was six o'clock in the morning, they were still smiling and greeting every rider as they went by. It was a lot of fun. And our city clerk gonna tell us about her riding expedition. Oh no, (laughs) (laughs) nothing for me. (laughs) All right. Item number 15, could I get a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second, Taylor. Moved by Burgess, seconded by Taylor. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? We are adjourned. Have a good night, Councillor Dunn, and everybody out there. Yes. Go as well. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew.